Okay, so like Linus in uh, A Charlie Brown Christmas, you know, Charlie Brown says, doesn't anyone know what Christmas is really all about? And Linus steps up, of course, and does this wonderful little monologue that tells them exactly what's happening. You know, it sometimes helps to take a very long story, a very complicated story, and to make it just as simple as humanly possible. So with the help of these brave, intelligent, and good-looking souls, I want to take you to the story of the wise men today. Traditionally, everybody goes to the story of the shepherds. But let's not forget, the wise men put ten times the effort into being in the presence of Christ than any of the shepherds ever did. They came not for the birth of Christ, but two years later. The wise men had to travel and work and, and, and make the effort to be there two years later. But their journey to the Christ begins on the very night that Jesus is born. So two years later. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, two saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star at its rising and have come to worship him. Three, when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So we assembled all, all the chiefs present, priests and scribes of the people, and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what has written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea. Because out, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Amazing, amazing, amazing. These men knew who the child was destined to be. From all the way on the other side of the world, in Persia, these men knew that something amazing had happened. And they worked tirelessly to get there. They had to wait a long time. They had to get permission. They had to get an expedition together. They had to gather everything they needed, and then they set sail, as it were, for the land of Judah. And when they got there, they had to find where the king was born. So of course, they went to the palace and they asked the reigning king. Matthew chapter two, section seven. The Herod secretly summoned the wise man and asked him the exact time the star appeared. He sent them, sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search for them kept Go and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, report back to me so I can go and worship him. Ah, when they asked that question of Herod, they had no idea what kind of man he was, and they had no idea what terrible things were about to happen. But you see, now they knew where the king was. Now they knew where the Christ was, and their waiting was over. Matthew chapter 2, section 9. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, 
they returned to their own country by another route. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Have the wise men not brought the gifts that they brought, then Joseph and Mary would not be prepared to take such a perilous journey to the land of Egypt. These gifts were meant to honor the newborn king of the Jews. Little did they know how badly they would need that gift, that preparation from God. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, guys. Uh, you see, it's amazing how when you have something as simple as, as just a group of people reading the story, kind of highlighting it, it makes it so much easier to understand. I, I was watching the Charlie Brown Christmas, and I thought, how neat that Linus could do that. How neat that Linus could be the one who stood there and gave the story of the birth of the Christ. Of course, it wasn't this one. And you might ask, why are we starting with the, with the wise men now? Why not go to the shepherds? Because the journey of the wise men was monumental. Think of what it took for us to come through the last two years and to come to this Christmas. Think of what it took for us as a nation, as a country, as a world, to come through the last two years, and to arrive at this time in history. You see, the wait's over, everybody. Christmas has finally come. A Christmas when we can get together. A Christmas when churches are open. A Christmas that lets us celebrate this turning of the clock. See, now, when it comes to Christmas, there are three certainties you have to know. Three certainties. But first, let me define that word. The word certainty may be defined as a fact that is definitely true or an event that is definitely going to take place. Within the word of God, there are many things which are absolutely, positively, at all times true. And there are certain events detailed in the word of God that are going to happen. In the days when Jesus was born, now let's understand this, that Herod's death happened roughly just before the turn of the Christian calendar. Jesus would have been born in 4 BC, not zero. It wasn't actually calculated correctly when they redid the calendar. So Jesus was born roughly 4 BC. When that happened, the reigning king was not a believer. He was not fully a Jew. He actually came from a small province off to the side of Israel, an enemy country that had once been very antagonistic toward Israel. For him to sit on the throne meant that he was a usurper. He was not truly a Jew. He was from that country formerly known as Moab of Edom. And from that country came only the enemies of Israel. So those certainties were, this is about to happen, and nobody, not even a foreign king, could stop it. The first certainty I want you to see is this. God does not hide his actions. 
I've heard so many people say, God is a mystery. God just moves and doesn't show us anything, doesn't tell us anything. That's a lie. God has told us from the Garden of Eden, when he promised that the seed of the woman would destroy the seed of the serpent, we have known that the Messiah was coming. Every prophet, every major prophet in Israel said the Messiah is coming, the Messiah will come. People didn't really believe it, but there was kind of a messianic fever in those first century days. People were waiting for that Messiah to show up. And then here comes a child born not in a throne room, not to a palace, not to a king, even a usurper king. But here comes a child born just as the promise of God said. If you look at it, these wise men come and it says, we have seen his star at its rising. Now understand what that means. These were the magi. These were astrologers. These were court officials, probably from the old Persian empire. They are very, very far from this little hovel in Bethlehem. They are a long way away. They may not even know where Bethlehem is. Look, they came to the king's palace. A king should be born in a palace, right? That's what they thought. But these men saw the star of the king rise in the sky. Now, astrologers had the whole sky divided into sections. Each section stood for a kingdom. And when they saw something appear in the household of Israel, they knew it meant the birth of a king. They saw that star on the night that Jesus was born. When they saw the star, they remembered that the great prophet Daniel had once ruled over the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel had told them, one day a star will appear. And when that star appears, then this promised king will come. That tradition had been passed on from the days of Daniel to the days we find right here. When they saw it, they said, there it is, guys. There's the sign that we were told was going to be there. There it is, that confirmation. Let's go see the king. As I said before, they had to go and get permission. They were court officials. They worked for the king. They had to get permission. Then they had to get passage to get all the way from where they were in Persia to where they needed to go in Israel. Now, it was dangerous to travel. It was dangerous to travel long distances. We always talk about we three kings, don't we? We sing that song. But they were more than three. And they were not kings. They were court astrologers. They were royal individuals because they worked for the king. But you know what? They at least knew what was happening. So when they went, they brought three gifts. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. We talked about that. Now, these gifts are very significant. Gold is always the gift for a king. Frankincense is always the gift for a priest or a priestly figure. Myrrh, of course, is used in the burial of the dead. So within these three gifts, we see the preparation for the life of Jesus. He is a king because his father is God, because he himself is God. He is a priest because he will be the great high priest who will make that sacrifice. And finally, at the end of it all, he will die for our sins. Charles Stanley this morning said, why are we so concerned with Christmas? Well, it's about Jesus. Well, what about Jesus, he said. What is it about Jesus that makes him so important? And the answer is because he died so that we don't have to be separated 
from God. That's the truth. How many Americans actually know anything more than that little manger scene that they might see on that they might see in front of a church or on a street corner? Do they actually know the story behind it? So they saw at its rising that a king was born. Now it took them two years to get there. I'm going to tell you why in a second. But they arrive in Jerusalem, they get there, and they go to the palace. The palace is where the king should be. But remember, Herod is not truly Jewish. Okay, he is from that people of Edom. He is from that enemy nation. And yet he rules because the Romans put him there. In fact, of all the things said of Herod the Great, it was said by the emperors of Rome that he was a savage. He was savagely cruel in the way he treated his people. So nobody really liked the guy. So not a lot of people went to see him. But when royal court officials from Persia show up, and there may have been 50. There may have been 100 of them all coming to see this. Of course, Jerusalem was disturbed. Of course, they were upset. Why are all these people showing up? Is someone trying to take us over again? When they get there, they go right to the king. Okay, where's the newborn king? Remember, Herod is not born a king. He was put there by the Romans. Therefore, a newborn king, what? Had preeminence over him, had the right to rule. Actually, at his birth, Jesus should have been crowned the king of the Jews, and his mother, Mary, should have been the one to reign over the nation until he reached the right age. So, of course, Herod was upset. Of course, Herod was messed up. So what does he do? Not being truly Jewish, he says, let me get some help. So God does not hide his actions, but God speaks to the heart of all people. He calls the priests. We read this. He calls the priest and says, hey, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? Whoa. Who said Messiah? These guys said, where's the king of the Jews born? Herod knew enough to know that this was a special birth. A birth written in the heavens had great power, great importance. So they said, where is the Messiah to be born? Because even Herod knew something was going on. They call in the priests. The priests said, well, that's easy. Over here in, in, in this book here, it says that he is going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea because that's where God has appointed it. Now, of course, Joseph and Mary are not from Bethlehem. Where are they from? They're from Nazareth. They're from up in the north. They come down there for the census. We're going to get to that next week. So this sign appeared just as Daniel had told them. Now, today, we still have a lot of false kings in our country. A lot of false kings who want to divert attention away from Jesus. They said, well, we can't say Merry Christmas. We have to say what? Happy Holidays. Why? Well, we don't want to leave anybody out. I've lived in a few other countries. And when you live in a country that's not your own, what do you do? You honor the customs of the country. So people come to my store. They say Happy Holidays. I say, yeah, Merry Christmas. Because this is not about happiness. It's not about Goodwill between peoples, it's about Jesus. And if you leave the Christ out of Christmas, you've got nothing to do but uh, celebrate a commercial holiday that makes you spend money you don't have to buy gifts you don't need for people you just don't like. I, I stole that from some guy on TV. I thought it was a great quote. I thought I, was, I would steal that one. But that's the truth. Spend money you don't have to buy gifts you don't need for people you don't like. That's what a secular holiday is. When you celebrate the coming 
of the Messiah. That's completely different. And I think people don't want to celebrate Christmas. Do you know why? They don't want to be reminded that Jesus came to die for them, for their sins, for their misdeeds, for their misthoughts. I think that makes people nervous. So if we just call it a holiday, we don't have to focus on it quite as much. But notice Herod does this. He calls the priest. He figures out where it's going to be occurring. He says, now, I want you guys to go there to Bethlehem. Go to that place. When you find the baby, come tell me why. So I can go worship him. Do you really think Herod wanted to worship the person who rightfully would take his throne? The person who was born to be in his position? Of course not. But he's not going to tell these court officials from Persia that. When you look at TV and everything is so muddled up today, everything is so confused, there's no clear picture of who Jesus Christ was. I mean, yeah, he made the cover of Time magazine a couple weeks ago, and um, there was, who was Jesus? Don't bother reading it. It's garbage. It's total garbage. Everything inside is about every story you ever heard about the human Jesus, how he wasn't God, he wasn't the son of God, he was just a nice guy who started a world religion. What is he, Mahatma Gandhi or something? Seriously, they want to deflect away from his godhood because if he's God, he came to die for a reason, and we have to take that reason seriously. Do we talk about Easter at Christmas time? No. Why? Because everything about Christmas has everything to do with Easter. That baby was born in that manger to those two parents because he was supposed to die, just like John the Baptist was born to parents to live for 30 years, to rule for six months as a, as a prophet of God, and then to be sacrificed by a king who had no respect for the word of God. That's what the world's doing. It's trying to, trying to control it. Remember, Herod tried to control it. Pharaoh before him tried to control it, but it doesn't work. So if God does not hide his actions, if God speaks to the hearts of all people, even though some don't listen, the third thing I want you to see is this. God always makes a way. Please write this down. It used to be a song. It's a wonderful song. You know, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. And you would think that a virgin could never be pregnant, but she is. That a man would never sacrifice his name, his family's name, to be with a woman that everybody else looked down upon. Do you ever wonder about this? Why did they have to leave Nazareth to go to Bethlehem? Yeah, there was a census. But do you realize when Joseph and Mary arrived in, in Bethlehem, nobody knew who they were. Yes, they had family there. Yes, they had relatives there. Yes, they had some that might have heard the story, but by and large, they could start all over again. They could start their life all over again without anybody casting sideways glances at Mary or at Joseph or at the baby. We know they're there for two years because of what we see. When they, when they have been to the king and they go outside, what do they see? They see the same star that they saw two years ago. Any astronomy student in any university will tell you that's not going to happen. This star appeared on the night of his birth, and then it disappeared. They didn't see it for two years. Then the star appears again 
this time right over their heads, this time leading them directly to the house where Joseph and Mary and Jesus are. In fact, it says, you know, and there it was, the same star they had seen at its rising. And when they followed it, it says they entered the house and saw the child. The word there is not baby, by the way. The word there is toddler. So they saw the toddler with Joseph and Mary. They had lived in Bethlehem for two years. He had plied his trade. He had worked his skills. They now had a house, not a stable. They had a child, not a baby. They had built their life in this town, and now suddenly somebody comes in and uproots everything. Three incredibly important gifts are given by this massive number of magi, whoever, how many, however many there were. You know, I, I doubt that they could all have gotten in the house. They may have come and looked and gone back outside. I've heard as many as 200 magi may have been in that train that came all the way from Persia to, um, to Bethlehem. But we don't know that. We only know there are three gifts. Okay. Everything else is kind of a conjecture or it's built on a song or a story. When they enter the house, they see that they fall on their knees because they are worshiping a king. So this is what they know. They know he is a king. I wonder if in their heads they're thinking, is there more to this child than just what we thought? Is this more than just a royal child? If he's royal, why is he here? And they used, Herod used the word Messiah. And even they knew what Mashiach means in, in Hebrew. It means the anointed one. And maybe in their little minds it started clicking. Oh my goodness, we have come into something much more important than we thought. When they went in, they gave these gifts, these very special gifts. It says later they were warned in a dream. Now astrologers were used to interpreting dreams or what they thought were dreams. God made it evident to these Gentile pagans, these non-Jewish people, these people who were not of the nation, but he made it important to them, go home a different way because this man has ulterior motives. And of course, being astrologers, being people who are accustomed to signs, they obeyed immediately. They went back to Persia by a different way. They did not go back. Uh, Bethlehem is roughly five miles to the south of, of Jerusalem. So they didn't have to go back up and over. They just went straight out and went around Herod's defenses. He could go home. Now it says that when that happened, the angel of the Lord came to Joseph and said, Hey, these guys have come. They've gone. Flee. Flee. Run away. Get out of here. And he sends them to Egypt, which is odd, because Egypt has this hate-hate relationship with Israel. They were told when they left, never go back to live in Egypt. What that actually means is don't go back into that slavery. Don't go back into that worldly, secular thing where they have taken, taken possession of you. And it's a good caution there for all of us. When it says, take the child and his mother and go, notice that once again, Joseph doesn't hesitate. He doesn't wait. He gets up, he gathers the gifts, he gathers his wife and child, he makes that preparation, and they set out to go to Egypt. Of course, this is important because Herod realizes that he's been disrespected, that he has been ignored. And he will come and he will do many terrible things. In fact, he will go to Bethlehem and he will slaughter all of the children two years and under according to the date that the star appeared. That's how we know how old Jesus was. 
the astrologers pinpointed the day of his birth as two years previous. So they have fled, and Herod says, okay, everybody two and under, kill him. Pharaoh tried that, and it didn't work so good for him. He missed Moses. Now Herod tries this. He slaughters, we don't know how many children. The scriptures in the Old Testament say, well, I've, heard, I've heard the voice of one weeping for her lost children because of all these babies that were slaughtered, these toddlers who were put to death. So we know that this is another fulfillment of scripture. The very last line is interesting. They stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled out of Egypt. I have called my son. Pay attention to that last verse. Everybody kind of sees it and ignores it. Now, Hosea 11.1 1 says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. He's recounting, of course, calling Israel out of bondage into the promised land. But Hosea is doing this in a prophetic way. We look down the road. The people of Israel were in bondage, but they were not in bondage to a foreign nation as they were in Egypt. They were in bondage to their sin. They were in bondage to a, a hollow religion that didn't do any good for them in their relationship with God. So out of Egypt, where Jesus is now hiding, I have called my son, my Messiah, and he will bring them to not the promised land of Canaan, but the promised land of a relationship with God. You realize that all of this is foreshadowing exactly who this baby is meant to be. And it's interesting because when they find out that Herod's dead, they, they come back. But they do not go back to Bethlehem. Remember, in Bethlehem, they have a house. He has a business. He has friends. They have family. Where does he go? He goes back north to Nazareth because the governor of the southern region was also hostile to the Jewish people, hostile to who the king might be. So rather than go back to Bethlehem and rest, risk the assault from this governor, he goes north to Galilee by the sea, and there this man is not governor. He does not hold sway because this is Gentile country. This is the country of the Samaritans, the half-breeds, the mixed-blood people that the Jews hated. So he takes them north again, that the scripture might be fulfilled, that the Messiah would come by the way of the Gentiles, by the Sea of Galilee. He takes him back to exactly where the word of God says the Messiah would come from. Nobody would have thought about Nazareth as the place that the Messiah would be from. That was a backwater. That was a place that no one looked at. But now, now God has sent them there so that's where he can prosper. That's where he can grow. That way the scriptures can be fulfilled. These certainties that God always makes a way, that God speaks to the hearts of all people, that God does not hide his actions, I want us to take that to heart this year. I really do believe that Americans in 2021 have forgotten Christmas. They've remembered the commercial holiday They've remembered to spend the money that they don't have on the gifts they don't need, and you know the rest. They've remembered the secular celebration of Christmas, but they have forgotten that this child was born with a time stamp, an expiration date, if you will. He has only these many years until he begins his ministry 
and then only three years to accomplish what will change the entire world. The whole world says, well, Jesus was just a good man who just happened to have the right message at the right time. And I say, if they say that, they've never read this. Because God goes to Gentile pagans to bring them to make it possible for Joseph and Mary to flee to protect Jesus until it's time to bring him back, not to Bethlehem where they have settled, but to the place where the Messiah was supposed to be. Nothing in your life is an accident. Hey, listen to me now. Nothing in your life is an accident. Not where you are, not who you are with, not the place you grow up, not the hardships you go through. None of that is an accident because God sculpted the day and the time of Jesus' birth, the place he would grow up, the place he would be exiled, and the place he would return to, to make him the man God desired to use to save us from our sins. The same thing is true for you. Does God show his actions in your life? Because God doesn't hide what he's doing in your heart. He doesn't, he doesn't hide what he speaks to your heart. You ever feel like God's talking to you? You ever feel like God is trying to show you something, something different? I mean, if you're my age, you've already been through 59 Christmases. Woohoo! The first 35 were enough. Okay, I've seen it all. But here's the thing. Every time I come to the Word of God, every time I come to Christmas, I think I see something new. I think I see something I didn't see the year before because I'm one year older. And I know that God is not hiding his actions. I believe we are coming to a pivotal time in the history of this country. I believe that things are happening, they are occurring, that are going to change the nation's history. And I think as a Christian, as a believer, as, 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 as a person who wants to make Jesus Christ known, I think it's time to quit playing around, take the risk, make him known, Tell his story. Why? Because God speaks to all people. If even to Gentile Persian astronomers, people who are by nature pagans, who would be rejected by every Jew in the world, through them, God was able to speak. What could he do more through you? You are a believer. You have embraced Christ as Savior. Now what can he do through you even greater than he would do through Persian astronomers? The last thing, God always makes a way. You may think it's too hard to serve God. You may think it's too hard to speak those words, too hard to tell somebody in your family, you know what? You need to get straight with God because you don't have a whole lot of time. I've seen a lot of people pass the last year. I mean, we all have. The older you get, you go to more funerals than you do weddings. That's a fact. How much time do we have to make Jesus known. These Persians went there to honor royalty. I think they left understanding a little better what Daniel had told them all those centuries before, that this was not just a king, this was one who would shape the world. And I wonder if those astronomers went home realizing that there was more than just their pagan astronomy, more than just their Persian gods. And I hope that we can bring something more than just the commercial Christmas to our friends, to our family this year. I said it before, you guys have got a great opportunity, you know, to speak healing, to speak grace, to speak mercy. When there's loss, there's always 
a chance to put in that healing salve, that healing balm. But only when we choose to step out and say, this is where healing is. This is where life is. I told people, and I told the teacher once, not, not a smart thing to do at U of H, told the teacher once, you know, that life is not about death. Life is about what comes after death. I don't think she believed me, but at least I said it. Now I can let the Holy Spirit do the rest, amen? This Christmas, you will have a chance to speak to someone about the importance of the Christ. Not Christmas, the American celebration of gifts and toys, but the Christ who came all these centuries ago to change the fate of men and women's lives. Amen? Let's pray.